welcome to the Queen's Church Sermon Podcast. Our church is being built on two vision statements. Jesus is our passion and love is our mission. We hope this message leads you to Jesus and that next week you'll join us in person to experience God's love through this local church. You can follow us online at qns.church. But right now I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me to the book of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible um, with you today, that's all right. We can give you one, or you can just look on the screen behind me. We're going to have the scriptures up there for you as well. And I want to just intro this sermon by reminding us that the Sermon on the Mount um, is not a set of do's and don'ts, right? Those of you who have been here every week, you say, yes, I know, we're getting used to this. It takes a while, though, because we're such a um, tell-me-what-to-do-and-what-not-to-do type of people. But that's not what the Sermon on the Mount was about, right? Jesus, what we're seeing here is he's painting the portrait of what a true follower of Jesus looks like. And all the while, he's describing you. He's saying, this is who you are when you're in me. So it's not like, hey, try to get to be this person one day. What we're trying to do is realize that this is our true identity, that we are followers of Jesus, and these things are true of us. Um, so I actually saw Summer walk in with some Bibles. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand and she'll give you one. Um, and if you don't have one at home, you can take that home with you. But as we transitioned from the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes were a lot of identity statements. This is who you are in Jesus. We moved over to this next section, and we're talking about pursuing relationships with purpose. You remember Danny kicked us off a few weeks ago, and he talked about anger right? And murder. And we all learned that um, we've done some pretty heinous things, even if we haven't done some pretty heinous things, uh, just by our thoughts and our hatred toward other people. We also talked about lust. And then last week, we talked about a tough one, which didn't seem that tough on the forefront, but um, lying. We realized how probably a lot of us actually have trouble deceiving others. And that's something that we need to be um, truth tellers as followers of Jesus, right? Today we're talking about one that I can almost guarantee you everyone in this room will say, I have a hard time with this. We're talking about loving our enemies. Who, who just wants to say boldly, uh, raise your hand really high and proud, I love all my enemies. It's pretty easy. I got, I got this one. All right, so we got a few people who are loving their enemies. I want, to see from, I want us to see from Scripture here that Jesus actually shows us the way to do this. It's not as complicated as we might think, although in the moment I understand when you're face-to-face with an enemy, there are a lot of complications, like you have emotions and feelings that are real and true, especially if you're in a heated situation. But if we can just remember what Jesus shows us about his way and how his way is so different than ours— We really can begin or continue to love our enemies. So let's read this scripture first, and then we'll jump in um, to the, the nuts and bolts of how Jesus calls us to be lovers of our enemies. He starts out like this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. He says, uh, this is his fifth, you have heard it said statement, all right? And this one's unique. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, Do not resist the one who is evil. Say what? But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, 
let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your enemy, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is really laying it on thick at this point in his sermon. He's done with the, hey, be meek, be kind to one another, the pleasantries, and now he's down into the real-life battles of loving your enemy. I want us to see that, uh, that there's really just two movements here that Jesus is calling us to. It seems like a lot, but there's really just two main movements. And the first one is this. Jesus is calling you and I, his followers, to resist retaliation. Resist retaliation. Now, uh, Steve, you can leave that up here, and I want you to join me on stage. Um, Steve is going to help me out with something. Steve's an actor, so I needed someone who could play the part. Um, Everybody say, what's up, Steve? Okay, so Jesus says this phrase here, um, that if anyone would slap you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. This is really confusing, because, you know, who really does that? If you're in a fight with someone, right, like let's say we were in a fight, all right, and, and we're both bowed up, we're ready to go. And, and let's say Steve threw a punch. Ugh. All right, now, which hand did Steve punch with? His right hand, right? Because the vast majority of people are right-handed, right? And then the rest of them are perfect. That's what the shirts say or something, right? 90% of the world is right-handed, 10% is perfect. Um, but Jesus, believe it or not, you know, he was a 33-year-old man or so. He knew that most people were right-handed. But watch this again. Everyone say out loud when you notice which cheek Steve in a fight punches me with. Try again. Which cheek did he hit? If anyone would slap you on the right cheek. So if Steve and I are in a fight and he's hitting me on my left cheek, then why is Jesus saying in a fight someone hits you on your right cheek? Well, What we've learned at looking back at history is Jesus wasn't talking about a fight. So see, we know so, sometimes we know so little about the scriptures that are written. Stay here. We know so little about the scriptures that are written that we take them at face value and say, okay, in a fight, I need to turn the other cheek. I may do that one day. But you know that when you're in the middle of a fight, you're never going to do that because you're fighting, right? Your adrenaline is going and you're ready to go. But Jesus isn't talking about a fight. Now, there's another way to hit someone. This uh, translation we're using says slap. One that you have might say strike. There's a reason it doesn't say punch, because Jesus isn't talking about a punch like we think. So Steve knows what to do now. He's going to do something different, right? He's right-handed. Now, 
There's another way to hit someone. And it might be if we are talking to one another and he just decides that he's had enough of me and he's going to shame me in front of all of you, he would do this. Now, where did he hit me? And what did he do? What, you guys know what that's called. He backslapped me, right? He backhanded me. All right, you're going to have a seat, Steve. Everybody give Steve a round of applause. Thank you, Steve. Jesus, in his uh, um, painting of this portrait, is calling us to resist retaliation. What he's saying is, in the moments when your honor is stripped from you and you are shamed and humiliated, remember that you do not have to defend your honor. It's not your job to defend your honor. You let me defend you. So in that situation where Steve and I might be having a conversation and he backslaps me, you feel the difference? I mean, if we're in a fight and he punches me, that's one thing. But if we're standing, talking, and maybe having a disagreement and he backslaps me, What's the point of that? It's not necessarily to cause the most amount of harm. He could punch me right in the nose and break my nose. That would hurt more. Why, would, why do you backslap someone? To shame them, right? You are saying you're beneath me. That's the point of a backslap. What Jesus is trying to say is that when someone comes to you for the purpose of dishonoring you, resist retaliating. In fact, turn the other cheek and say, I care so little about defending my own honor that I'm willing to let you dishonor me again. And the reason is the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Someone who is proud or rich in spirit, if you remember all those many eight, ten weeks ago when we talked about that, you'll remember it's about understanding that your desire for how things should go, your will for the world, is not the right one. And we are voluntarily, as followers of Jesus, laying down our life to Jesus. And we're saying we are taking on a cloak of poverty of spirit, saying I'm going to be poor in my own pride. Someone who turns the other cheek is someone who is poor in spirit. They've realized that it's okay if you dishonor me because Christ has honored me higher than I deserve already. And in doing so, I mean, obviously, you're going to elicit some questions, right? If someone tries to dishonor you and you turn the other cheek and say, I'm sorry you feel that way. If it's that bad, you can hit me on this one too. Not with, not with sarcasm, but in reality, what are they going to do? They're going to think about it. They're going to be curious. I, you know, usually that type of person is someone who's used to dishonoring people, and most of the people bow up when they come at them, right? But you're bowing down, not saying, okay, you're right, not saying, oh, please stop, but saying, you can keep dishonoring me. It's okay. It's not going to affect who I am as a person. Your dishonor doesn't change who I am. That's what Jesus means when he says to resist retaliation. Um, so if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other one. Now let's handle, I kind of um, jumped ahead right there so we could use Steve and let him get back because Steve's working today during worship. Uh, he's on the serve team doing some words up there. Uh, but right above there, he talks about this thing, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Just, uh, I won't spend a lot of time here. We could preach a whole sermon on this. 
But just because um, so, it might be misunderstood too, here's what Jesus is talking about. There's laws written in Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus that were written for the judges on how they should um, ap- approach justice in, amongst the people. And here's what the law said. If someone takes your eye, then the way that you repay that is by having, if you take someone's eye, the way that you repay that is by having your own eye taken, an eye for an eye. And the same with a tooth, a tooth for a tooth. Now, Jesus isn't talking literally, like if I pluck Paula's eye out, then my eye has to be plucked out. What he's saying is the spirit of this law, the heart of this law, is that justice should be served in a just way. Because if someone came to you and plucked your eye out and you didn't know anything about this law, what would you think justice would look like for them? Probably more than that, right? Are we the same thing kind of people? Are we the kind of people who say, oh, if you punch me on the street, I think you should be punched on the street. That's not how we act, right? No, we want to see them taken to court. And you hear this phrase a lot like, I want to take them for all they're worth. That's because when, when, we, when we think about vengeance, we go over and above what was done to us. That's what we want. If someone strips something from us, we want even more to be taken from them. And what Jesus is saying is he's calling us back to his way. And he's saying, listen, this law, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, the purpose of that law was to actually rein in our retaliation, to bring it down, to say retaliation should be for what um, is taken, one should be given. So he's trying to um, actually rein in our vengeful desires, not just giving us freedom to do this. Another thing that's happened was the Pharisees, remember the group that he's talking to? Those Pharisees decided that this wasn't just for the judges. They decided it was for them. So they were out on the streets taking their own vengeance, just like some of us do sometimes. Now, I I know you guys aren't getting in street fights all the time, but what if out on the streets just meant like in your own house? Don't we like to try to take justice for ourselves in our own house? You know, you get into an argument with someone about whether or not the trash was actually asked, was like you were supposed to take the trash out or the dishes were, you know, supposed to be done before like you go to sleep or something. You know what I mean? And you want to make sure that you were right. And so you're going to get justice for yourself there, right then. Now, hopefully this doesn't get physical, but at least in an argument, we're trying to get justice for ourselves. And what Jesus is reminding the Pharisees is the heart of that law was written for the judges, right? Um, Paul talks about later uh, in the New Testament about how we as believers live in a society, right? Uh, Respecting the ones that God has placed in authority over us. This is their job. Eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth was never meant for us to handle on our own on the streets. That's for the law. That's for justice. That's for the, the nation or the state, which will come up in a little while as well. So um, just think about those things as we're continuing this. That, that's the kind of clarification that Jesus is calling us to. So we're supposed to resist retaliation. We do this by doing something asinine. We embrace the one who is evil. But I say to you in verse 39, do not resist the one who is evil. But doesn't Jesus say, like, resist the devil and he will flee from you? So right there, that's a contradiction. Jesus is contradicting himself, right? How can we believe anything he says? 
Listen, Jesus, remember, is talking about this humiliation or this dishonor. And what he's showing us is that instead of resisting or running away from or retaliating with vengeance on the one who is evil, the one who wishes evil on us, what a follower of Jesus does is they embrace them. And you resist, not the evil one, you resist your own urge to have vengeance. You resist your own urge to retaliate. Resist your own urge to get revenge. And instead, you embrace the one who is evil. Jesus did this too. He, it wasn't just lip service. He did it in the hardest moment of his life. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 65 says this. I mean, there's a lot leading up to this. This is Jesus before the high council on the night that he's crucified. And he's, uh, the Bible says this. Some, uh, they, they were, this is before they started beating him, right? He's still in the court. And, he sa- and, and some, in verse 65 it says, began to spit on him and to cover his face and strike him. How cowardly is that? Why do you cover someone's face before you strike them? You've seen interrogation movies. You've seen terrorists and the way that they act in a back room. You do it so they can't see it coming, right? You can threaten them and threaten them and then hit them without them expecting it. That's what they were doing to Jesus. They began to spit on him. Then they covered his face and started to strike him. And then finally they started to to mock him. They said to him, prophesy. That's what he was being accused of, being the king, being the prophet. Well, if you're so great, why don't you prophesy? And the guards received him with blows. Doesn't sound like someone who's fighting back, right? We see over and over again throughout the rest of the crucifixion account, you can read on your own time, that Jesus continues to resist fighting back against the ones who are uh, trading blows at his expense. Jesus instead embraced the ones who were evil. You know, we know that on the cross, Jesus said what? Do you remember? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus saw into the spiritual realm. He saw that they didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand the reality of all this. And so he, not just looking at the physical or feeling the physical, saw into the spiritual realm and said, Father, forgive them, because they're ignorant. They don't even know what they're doing. Almost begging the question, like, if they knew what they were doing, would they still do it? But he said, Father, forgive them. He embraced the ones who who are evil. Um, Daniel Doriani, uh, a writer of a book about the Sermon on the Mount, says this, We must resist the urge of self-defense in order to break the cycle of violence. Think about how that works. When you and I resist the urge to self-defense, it breaks the cycle of violence. Think about that in your arguments at your house. Think about that with your boss or your coworkers. When you want to come to your own defense because you're getting thrown under the bus for a project that you actually didn't screw up on, it was because someone else didn't show up to work. But you want to make sure you're defended. And Jesus is teaching us here to resist trying to come to our own defense. It doesn't mean we turn into um, cowards who are walked all over. This is, this is the meekness thing. This is actually an act of strength to be able to say, there is one who is defending my honor who is so great, I could never even come close to defending it as well as him, so I'm going to let him do his work in me.
So <clears throat> we resist retaliation by embracing the one who is evil and also by giving to the one who wants to take from you. We give to the one who wants to take from us. We saw that right here, right? Uh, if somebody would come and want to sue you for your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. You see, there was a law that said if you, sued, if you, if you were owed someone their, um, their, your, their possessions, you could take everything except their cloak. You couldn't take the shirt off their back. That's the phrase we use now. You could take them for all they were, but you couldn't leave them naked. That was a law. And Jesus is saying, if someone comes and wants to sue you for all you are, just give them your shirt too. Give them, give them everything. Why? Why would he say that? Because remember, when someone wants to sue you for this, it's about humiliation. It's about getting at your identity. And Jesus is saying, you don't find your identity in these things. You trust in me. Remember another time when Jesus says, uh, the lilies of the valley are not concerned with how they look because I clothe them. And I love you. He says, I love you more than them. Oh, child of God, don't you know I will clothe you even more? That's the type of God that we serve. So we give to the one who wants to take from us. Um, and then lastly, we do this thing right here. Um, we go the extra mile. In order to resist retaliation, what if you just said, you know what, instead of not only am I going to stand back, this is why, this is how you're, I, I said a minute ago, you're not turned into a coward, right? You go the extra mile. This is what it looks like. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Where G when Jesus was living, the people he's talking to are are Jews living under Roman oppression. The Roman government or army ruled the Jewish people, and they were not a good, a good or a kind ruler. Jesus talks about tax collectors here in a moment. They were the people who were sent, who were sent by the Roman government to grab all the money from the Jews and take it away. So th this is not a good, a good um, uh, occupation that the Romans had. So the Romans were occupying the Jews, and one law that the Roman government had is that any soldier at any time could make you just drop everything you are and come with me. I need some of my equipment carried. And you would have to drop everything. No matter, it doesn't matter if you're headed to the hospital to see your wife after she had a baby or if you're headed late to work. It doesn't matter. Drop everything and come with me. And they would saddle them up with all of their equipment and say, come on, you have to go a mile. And they would have to go out of their way Whatever was going on didn't matter. One mile or two or three, however many. And Jesus says, when you get to the end of that mile, here's how much I want you to resist retaliation. I want you to go another mile. All right, that's good. You can, you can leave the stuff here. We're going to keep going. No, that's all right. I'm okay. Let's keep going. How would a Roman, I mean, isn't it kind of cool to think about the fact that maybe some of the followers of Jesus actually practiced this in the early church? I wonder how many Roman soldiers were made aware of the good news of Jesus Christ because of faithful followers of Jesus who went the extra mile with them. What in the world is the conversation going to be like on that extra mile, right? They're walking that extra mile, and the Roman soldier is saying, what are you, just like a goody two-shoes? What's going on? Why are you carrying my stuff an extra mile? And the Jewish person gets the opportunity to say, I follow a, a Savior who... When he got to the top of a hill carrying a burden so heavy no one else could carry, 
and had the power to stop dead in his tracks and make everything go away, he went the extra mile, climbed up on the cross, and was suffered and died for my behalf. Out of that type of love that he had for me, I love you. That's why I'm going the extra mile right now. I don't think it's absurd to believe that there are probably Roman soldiers who are worshiping God in heaven today because of faithful Jewish, early Jewish Christians who went the extra mile. And I also don't think it's crazy to think that there will be people worshiping in heaven one day because of faithful Christians like you who go the extra mile resisting the retaliation that you want to have, that in your heart you think is right because justice needs to be served after all, but instead laying down your desires for that and saying, you know what, it's not my job to serve justice, but it is my opportunity to go the extra mile with this person. It's my opportunity to carry this burden with them so that they don't have to carry it alone. Church, those are the type of people who follow Jesus extravagantly when they turn to him. The type of people who see your witness and they see you going the extra mile and they say, what is going on in your life? You didn't used to be like this. How can I have that type of energy and drive and excitement? It should be said that it's unwritten in here that there's probably a little bit of a good attitude that goes with going that extra mile too. <clears throat> that one's hard for me. I thought I'd say it just maybe it's okay if it's hard for you too. Um, this is how people turn <clears throat> from apathetic or ignorant toward the gospel. Like they don't care about the Jesus or, or maybe they just don't know. This is how they turn curious about the gospel. Those Roman, those Roman soldiers probably just thought all those Christians were crazy for dying for their faith. And they, and it was just, it, they never actually encountered one, but going the extra mile gave them the chance to say, what is it about you guys that will, like, why don't you quit? Why do you always have joy? You are literally carrying 100 pounds of my armor that I'm going to use to torture one of your native brothers or sisters. You're carrying it to the torture, and you're saying, I'm not going to go halfway, I'll go the whole way. What is it about you? They're curious about the gospel. That's how apathy or ignorance turns into curiosity when we go the extra mile. we got to move on. I want to stay there. I could tell you do too, but let's keep going. So from resisting retaliation, we have to move, from res we have to, move um, to resist retaliation. But Jesus doesn't stop us there. Remember I said it's a courageous thing. It's not just about pulling back. That's the resisting. So we resist retaliation, but we have to keep going. We go from resisting retaliation to insisting on love. When you resist something, you're pulling back. It doesn't mean you don't insist on anything. But what Jesus says is you don't insist on getting justice for yourself. What you insist on is love, which sometimes means getting justice for others. That's cool, but not for yourself. Listen, Jesus says that we need to insist on love, and he says it for a few reasons that are unwritten here. He says it because, well, because he loves you. I know it might seem really elementary on a Sunday morning for the preacher to say this, but Jesus loves you. The reason he wants you to insist on love is because that's how you got here in the first place. Jesus loves you. Um, the Bible in 1 John uh, chapter 3 says this, verse 16 through 18. By this we know love. How do you know love? 
that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. We've all been there, right? We have what that person needs, but we close our heart against them. If anyone see, has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, why take it back to the elementary? Because we must remember we're all big and bad. We got our own houses. We got our own clothes. We pay our own bills. But in the kingdom of God, we are little children. Little children. Let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The simplicity of the beautiful good news of Jesus Christ. Little children, let us not only love in word or in deed, but let us love in the way that we walk it out. You're not only, <clears throat> we don't we'd only insist on love because Jesus loved you, but also because you have been transformed. Remember this, you are not like the tax collector or the Gentile. You see, those were the enemies of the Jews. Jesus got real. So I'm going to get real, right? You are no longer like your ex-spouse. They're not your barometer of how to treat other people. You don't look at how your ex-spouse treats you and say, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You get what you deserve. Here it comes. That's how real Jesus got when he said tax collectors. These tax collectors were ruthless people. The Jewish people hated them. And I said that one of these was unique, right? The Jewish people had actually invented their own law that did not exist in Scripture. Jesus said it right here. You have heard that it was said. Every time he said that before this in the Sermon on the Mount, he quoted Scripture and said a real law that was actually written. But this time he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor. That's a real law. And hate your enemy. That is not a real law. See, what happened was the Pharisees had written their own law. Based on their experience and their listening to their forefathers, they had grown to believe it was God's will that they hated those who hate God. And Jesus says, not so fast, my friend. I say, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. You have been transformed. You are not like your overbearing, uncaring, never thoughtful jerk for a boss. You are not like them. You have been transformed. So when they treat you a certain way, you do not treat them the same way back because you are different. You have been transformed. You're not like them anymore. You were once a slave to sin like them. You are not like that anymore. Now you say, my boss is a Christian. Then you need to have a sit-down talk with your boss. <laughs> um, but you're not, you're not a still caught up in the ways of the world. You're not still a slave to sin. Treating others the same way as those who are dead in their trespasses, who are still sinful, treating others the same way that they treat you is like 
remaining in jail voluntarily after your release. It's foolishness, right? Because you're a free person. You are no longer bound by barbed wire fences and eight by six foot prison cells. You have been set free. But when you and I choose to treat others the same way they're treating us, we are stepping back into that set, back onto those grounds behind those barbed wire fences and then down past the guards and into the cell and locking it and giving them back the key. And we're saying, I'll take my chances in here with the rest of us. It's foolishness. We love our enemies because we are different than them. You see, Jesus also says this this phrase here, pray for those who persecute you. I thought I had this cool illustration that I was going to use, but, you know, if you're on serve team, you get to have a little preview of the sermon. There's another reason to join serve team. And when I said the preview of the sermon, um, I didn't say what I was going to say, but I said, we're going to learn more about not praying at people, but praying for people. And one of the members of the worship band thought they were being cool and said, yeah, because we live in an at culture. Like we want to at everyone on Twitter and at them on Facebook. And I said, you better read my notes. But that's okay. That means that the illustration will play well because you guys are there. Jesus says, pray for your enemies, not to pray at them. And I want to show you the difference. Here's praying at an enemy. God, my ex-spouse is crazy. They dishonor you and they dishonor me. Please give them what they deserve. And please rid me of every ounce of what they have and give them what they deserve. Because they need you, and I need less of them, and I need to get away from them. And Lord, you know, if if they lose their job, and I get a new job, that might be your will, God. Would that please be your will, God? That's praying at someone else. Jesus says to pray for those who are your enemies. And here's the difference. Lord... I am a sinner. Humble me. My ex frustrates me, but I know that I frustrate them too. And I know that I have sinned against them as well. And I confess those sins to you. And God, I pray that you would change my heart so that I would see them like you do. That I would see them, and despite the way they act toward me, I would be able to love them. And I pray for their good. I pray they will get a promotion in their job. I pray that their new relationships would be healthier than the one that they had with me. That's how you pray for someone. And I know what, I know what I'm asking and what Jesus is asking is difficult. No one's saying this is easy. But listen, I had a coach in high school who once, who once said, and is, I still say it sometimes to my kids, nothing that's good in life is easy. So if you want what is good in life, you have to be willing to do the hard work, especially when we're talking about soul transformation here. Jesus is not talking about just getting a new car, like go get the loan, it's easy, sign the papers, do the stuff. No, we're talking about getting a new soul. It's difficult work. Jesus gives us grace and salvation, and it's free. But then he says, you're a new person, and that new person loves and prays for their enemies. And he knows that's hard. He knows it's hard. 
and he knows it's hard because he went through it. And if you're wondering, that's the end of the sermon. Jesus knows this is hard because he went through this. Jesus is not asking you to do something from some high throne in heaven with his crystal gold slippers and his crown on his head. Remember, Jesus came to the earth and he did the difficult work of following the commands of his Father in heaven. And he did it, and he did it perfectly. And when he got down to the point where he had enemies in front of him who were set against him, he decided that he was going to resist retaliation. And when he backed away from the retaliation and they bagged his head and they slugged him until he was senseless, he carried the cross up Calvary's hill. And he got to the cross, and uh, there's a pastor here in the city who says one of my favorite lines in all of life. When Jesus went up to the cross, he was hanging there on the cross. And you might say, that is real love. And I would agree with you, that is real love. But even that, Jesus going to the cross, is not the greatest act of love Jesus has ever done. Tim Keller, a pastor here in New York, says, The greatest act of love that Jesus ever showed to you and me was not that he went to the cross. It was that in hanging there in agony and pain, he stayed. You remember their final mock? If you truly are who you say you are, come down and prove it to us all. Slapping him in the face dishonoring him, humiliating him, calling for open shame because they knew he wasn't going to do it. They just knew that if they said that and he didn't do it, they were even more right and he was even more shamed. And in that moment, when Jesus had the chance to hit back, could you imagine what it had been like if he had came off that cross and hit back? We wouldn't be here today, for one, but he did it. What did he do? You can see him Turn the other cheek. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Church, you are loved by Jesus in that way. And it is out of that love that he calls you and me to love our enemies. It's not cheap. He knows it's not cheap. He knows it's expensive. It's going to cost you a lot. But you can Do it because he has done it for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would remind us of our sinfulness because we know that if we think we have no sin, then we stand before you proud and arrogant. And we stand before you as people who, who want to get more from you and think we deserve what we get. But God, when you remind us of our sin, and our pride, and our lust, and our anger, and our hatred of our enemies, it's easy for us to fall down on our faces. And we are so grateful that you are not a God who leaves us there. But God, you get down on the ground with us, and you lift our head, and you look us dead in the face, and you say, you can love your enemies, because when you were my enemy, I loved you. Lift our heads today, Jesus, so that we would see you as the risen victorious Savior that you are. Thank you for your love for us. It is priceless. And we are grateful for it. In Jesus' name.
During this next song, I invite you to respond to what God is speaking to you by the power of his Holy Spirit right now. We believe that this this whole church and Jesus stuff, it's not about flesh and blood. That's why that, that slap battle is not one on the flesh sense, right? You don't out slap them. It's about your soul and what God is doing in your spirit. And we also believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your spirit. And right now, if you're having thoughts of confession or thoughts of redemption, uh, if, you're, if you're finding joy in this and you've never experienced it like this before, or peace, or maybe your soul is vexed and you're confused, we believe that's the Holy Spirit calling you to him. And he's saying, come, you bring all that to me and I will give you rest and peace. So we actually have some people who are prepared to pray for you. Our prayer team will be standing at the back. And I invite you during this next song to go and pray with them. If there is something on your soul that is uh, either vexing you or causing you joy or anxiety, or maybe you've decided this is the day that I trust Jesus as my Savior. You know, you kept saying, Pastor, follower of God. I'm not a follower of God, but I want to be now. We invite you to come say, I am ready to follow Jesus. We would love to show you from Scripture what that means and talk to you about how you can follow Jesus. So we'll be at the back waiting. The prayer team is there. They're set up. They're ready to go. Come and receive prayer. If there's a line, there's a few people at each person, just wait, right? Just wait. God still wants to speak to you. Let's worship God together. You can stand.